This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the end. That is Luke 2, 7. Now, it's interesting there, they use gendered language in the scripture to describe that when Jesus was born, that he was a son, as opposed to what we would know in the gender binary to be a daughter. And that will all come into play here in just a minute. And no, I can't believe how stupid everything is. But guys, we just thank you so much for listening into the show. We definitely, definitely appreciate it. Here we are at the tail end of November. So those of you guys that celebrated Movember, I appreciate you guys. Take photos, tag us in them. I'm trying to grow the beard back out. Got a little hunting action I need to come up with. I want my face to be nice and warm. But thank you to all you guys that took that seriously. Also, just want to remind you guys to leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you're listening to this. That is how the show is going to get out to more people. But also, share this with as many many people as you can possibly get out there too. We need you guys to share it around. We also need your support. So we have a donation page set up on our website, undaunted.life backslash donate. That is how we're going to be able to continue to create the content that you guys have grown to love is because we have donors. And again, just want to remind you that we are partnered with Origin. They make some of the best products on the planet. They just released Jocko's Creatine. So on the Jocko Fuel side, they've got, you know, supplements and energy drinks and things like that. And greens, probably the best greens on the market. But they just released some creatine because I know a lot of you guys use that. And so you can check that out there. But then on the Origin side, boots, jeans, geese, all of that. Guys, we have a promo code that you can use to try out their products. Use the promo code UNDAUNTED at checkout. That's U-N-D-A-U-N-T-E-D, UNDAUNTED at checkout to get 10% off your order. Okay, guys, in the quick hitter segment today, we're going to be discussing a lot of things. And <clears throat> some of the things these things happened, you know, months and months and months ago. They've just kind of been on my list and I haven't really been able to get to them. So we're kind of clearing out a little bit of the backlog before we get to the beginning of the year. But we're going to talk about the, the groundbreaking study that exposes the enormous myth about antidepressants, ACT scores hitting the lowest point in more than three decades, a British woman being denied life-saving surgery because she requested a non-transgender nurse, yes, that's a real story, armed law-abiding citizens stopping significantly more active shootings than the FBI statistics describe. In the last one, we will honor the last surviving American Medal of Honor winner from World War II. But today, we need to talk about a recent sermon that claims that Jesus... Yes, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, our Savior, part of the Godhead, had a trans body. That Jesus was actually transgender. Okay, so we need to set the stage here. The date was Sunday, November the 20th, so about a week and a half ago or so. There was an event called Evensong or Evansong. That is uh, at the location of the chapel at Trinity College, which is a constituent college of the University of Cambridge in the UK. So this is kind of like a chapel service. This is where worshipers are going to come, hear a sermon, praise God, those types of things. So think of it like a church service. The speaker at this particular service was a guy named Joshua Heath, who is a junior, a junior research fellow at Trinity College. Also, a couple of guys that are important to this story. Dr. Michael Banner, who is the dean of Trinity College and a, the former Archbishop of Canterbury named Rowan Williams. So that is Joshua Heath's PhD supervisor. So again, the speaker was Joshua Heath. The Dean of Trinity College is Dr. Michael Banner. And then, you know, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, was Joshua Heath's PhD advisor. So we kind of have a bunch of people here in this story. So during this, and I guess we can call it sermon, you know, for, for lack of a better term, uh, you know, didn't end up being that in the end. But during the sermon, 
Joshua Heath showed three different works of art to make a point about Jesus Christ. So the first work of art was Henry Masseroni's 1990 work called Christ. I tried to find a really good picture of it and I really couldn't, so we won't be showing that here. And then there's a couple others that I will show. The prayer book of, and I think it's Bonn of Luxembourg. It's B-O-N-N-E. I don't know if it's Bonn or Bonnet or something like that. So this is a prayer book of artwork from the 14th century. And then Jean Maluel's, I believe is how you say the last name, a work from the year 1400 called Pieta. Okay. So the point that Joshua Heath was trying to make with these works of art during this sermon was this, that Jesus was transgender. Yes, that is the point that he was making by showing these works of art and some other works of art that Jesus was transgender. Okay. So let's look at a a couple of pieces of these artworks. So if you're watching this on Rumble or on YouTube, you'll be able to see these. If not, you can look them up later. But one is the prayer book of, again, Bonn of Luxembourg from the 14th century. So during the sermon, Joshua, he showed this picture. So I'll go ahead and bring it up here for those of you guys that are watching. He showed this picture, which is from the prayer book, which is an artistic rendering of the wound in Jesus's side from the spear that the Roman soldier stabbed him with. Okay. Now what Heath is exclaiming by this picture is that this side wound was isolated and that it, and this is a quote from the presentation that it quote takes on a decidedly vaginal appearance, unquote. So it's a, it's a very beautiful piece of art. The, the, you know, the prayer book is a fantastic piece of art, but he's saying when you look at this, that it takes on a decidedly vaginal appearance. Okay. And then the, the main work that he used in his presentation was from the year 1400. Again, Jean Maluel's Pieta. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and bring that up here for you. And so with this work of art, Heath claims that this provides proof that Jesus was transgender because the blood that is coming from the side wound on Jesus flowed down to Jesus's groin. Okay. So for those of you that are not actually, you know, seeing this, this is kind of like a a golden plate and there's, there's people holding up the body of Jesus. We can assume that's Joseph and Mary and there's angels and things like that. And it's a naked Jesus, even though you can't see uh, his crotch region, you can't see a penis or testicles. And then you have the side wound and the blood from the side wound goes down and basically pools in Jesus's crotch and then runs down his leg. Okay. So there's the image. I'll, I'll go ahead and move on from there. But again, he's claiming that that provides proof that Jesus was transgender because of where the blood flowed and that you, you can't see Jesus's penis. Okay. So Heath also showed some other works of art, which showed Jesus's penis in a, in a non-sexual or non-erotic way and told the worshipers that were at this service at Trinity college that the depictions of Jesus's penis quote, urge a welcoming rather than hostile response towards the raised voices of trans people, unquote. Now I'm going to read that again, because I got to be honest with you. I had no idea what he's, he's meaning there, but again, the depictions of Jesus's penis in these works of art, quote, urge a welcoming rather than hostile response towards the raised voices of trans people, unquote. No freaking clue what he's getting at there. But in order to drive home his his main point of this entire thing, Heath said this at the end of the sermon. This is a direct quote, quote, in Christ's simultaneously masculine and feminine body in these works, if the body of Christ as these works suggest the body of all bodies, then is his body is also the trans body. Okay? So Heath is claiming that because of these works of art, because of what we can see, we can surmise that Christ's body, who is the body of all bodies, right? That his body is also the trans body. 
Okay. Now there was a lot of reaction to the sermon and there was a lot of reaction to the sermon in the room. So one person actually reportedly got up and shouted heresy before storming out. So, you know, (laughs) hats off to that person, you know, let me know where they, where they live. I'll go and buy them a pint. And at least one person left the speech in tears because they were so distressed. They wanted to talk about it afterwards, but then they were unable to do so because they were so angry and distressed. And it was also reported that there were children in attendance because of course there would be children in attendance at a service like this. And they seemed to be incredibly uncomfortable as you can imagine with the content. But it wasn't all bad and all negative for Heath because a very high profile person that I've already mentioned immediately came to his defense. And that is Dr. Michael Banner, the Dean of Trinity College. So the Dean claimed that the view that Jesus was transgender was a legitimate argument. Okay. So this is actually a quote from him. Again, this is Dr. Michael Banner, the Dean of Trinity College. Quote, for myself, I think that speculation was legitimate. Whether or not you or I or anyone else disagrees with the interpretation says something else about the artistic, about that artistic tradition or resists its application to contemporary questions around, around transsexualism, unquote. Okay. So Again, he's trying to point the thing, trying to defend this guy, saying that that is an actual legitimate way of looking at this. And then Banner went on to compliment the sermon, saying that it was forcing the congregants, okay, so the people that were in the congregation that day, to, quote, think about these images of Christ's male-female body as providing us with ways of thinking about issues around transgender questions today. So again, he's talking about artwork from, in some cases, you know, 600 years ago and talking about how those are potentially going to provide us with ways of thinking about issues around transgenderism today. And then when Banner was challenged for even, even having Heath speak to begin with by those claiming that Heath was, you know, just being purposefully offensive to gain attention, Banner said that he would not invite a speaker, quote, who would deliberately seek to shock or offend a congregation or who would be expected to speak against the Christian faith, unquote. So this obviously made the rounds. As soon as this came across, uh, you know, my attention, I immediately posted it on our Instagram and a lot of people were like, you, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you know, some people thought it was just hilarious and the other people, you know, got really, really offended. And I think that all of those things are probably appropriate because I think it is deeply offensive to say that Jesus was transgender. Uh, again, there's nothing that we could surmise from scripture, uh, that would give us any idea that he was anything other than man in terms of whenever he was existing on this planet. Yes. Part of the Godhead, but when he was here, you know, fully God and fully man. And I don't mean man in the, the Greek word used since where man actually includes man and woman. No, I mean that in terms of the male, female binary that he was male. But then also I I can completely understand how people would think that this was just kind of funny because with a lot of these worldviews, especially those that come from the LGBTQ leftist side of things, they deserve our derision. They deserve to be mocked and we should act in accordance with what those opinions and what those people deserve in a lot of ways. But as I was thinking through this, I was thinking about why is this story so important? Because it is an important story. It may seem silly. It may seem like, you know, a headline from the Babylon Bee or the Onion, but it is very important. The first reason I think it's important is that leftists and liberals have no limitations to their quote unquote progress. Again, we hear about progressives and progressivism and we're progressing towards something. And you always have to ask the question, which is what are we progressing towards? What is the end goal? Because even if you say utopia, everyone defines that differently. So where exactly are we going? But this just shows that there, there are no governors to the things that they will say. They will literally turn the Christ transgender. They will turn the Christ gay. 
they will say, what did that moron on The View say last week that, you know, Jesus wouldn't just attend a pride parade. He would be, you know, the the main person, right? I forget what the, the main person for a pride parade or a parade would even be, but he would be like the, the drum major or the whatever. Like, I can't really even think of what they said, but like Jesus wouldn't just participate. He would be all over it. And again, they, they, of course, they would think this way because there literally are no sacred cows within religion or anybody on the right or anything within politics. They're going to constantly push and push and push until they've progressed past where they feel like they can come back from, which I don't actually think they have the ability to even think through that. Another reason why I think that this, this story is so important is Jesus being a transgender person is currently a very, very fringe view but wait a few years because we can no longer accept the slippery slope fallacy argument. And we can no longer accept that these fringe ideas will stay on the fringes. We just can't do that anymore. Like we're well past that at this point, because again, just look at uh, gay marriage again. That's kind of back in the headlines. A lot of people are talking about that 20 years ago. It was silly to think that we would be okay societally in America with gay people getting married because marriage means something. We used to believe the thing that is true, which is that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Then we have no fault divorce. Then we have the liberalization of culture. Then, you know, we basically can get married without having any connection to God or or his church or any of those types of things. And now here we are where in modernity, it was like, okay, just let us have civil unions. And then it was, okay, well, just let us get married. And then it was, okay, yeah, but I need you to come to my wedding and cheer me on. Oh, and also I need you to bake me a cake and take pictures. Oh, and I also uh, want you to silence anybody that would disagree with the fact that we are getting married to begin with. Like you see how these things have gone and that's been in a very relatively short period of time. We're talking, you know, actually less than 10 years. What was Obergefell 2015, right? So we're talking a very, very truncated period of time in our history. And so this is a fringe view, but it won't be fringe for long. Remember when I said several years ago that uh, LGBTQ would eventually be adding a P and I don't mean for pansexual, I mean for pedophile, but they're actually calling them maps, minor attracted persons now. And that was seen as crazy and so far outside the mainstream and still to a degree it is seen very, very outside of the mainstream. But for how long is that going to be outside the mainstream? Because again, if a child can choose their gender, why can't they choose their sexual partner? If somebody can be transgender, why can't they be trans race or trans age? So if a 50-year-old man wants to date a 14-year-old girl, but the 50-year-old man identifies as a 14-year-old boy, then who are you to say anything different? Again, I obviously disagree with that vehemently. That's kind of where we are. It's a fringe idea now, but it's not going to be for very, very long. Another reason why this story is so important is that if you destroy truth, and I mean truth, capital T, truth, not your truth, my truth, but if you destroy truth, you can control facts. And I'm using scare quotes with facts. Because again, facts undergird what truth is. Because if you say, uh, you know, that the 16th president of the United States was Abraham Lincoln and that he was assassinated, okay? Well, there are a lot of facts that are undergirding those truths, okay? So there had to have been a 15th president that Abraham Lincoln came after. There had to have been an election. There had to have been a result. There had to have been a deemed winner. These are all facts that lead up to the truth that he was the 16th president of the United States. And then there are a bunch of facts that show that he was killed. Like, okay, where was he? 
was you know what happened he was shot okay it doesn't even matter by who when you're talking about those facts but he was killed he was assassinated while he was in office okay so there's facts that undergird truth so if you can destroy truth you can control facts so if you can destroy the truth that Jesus was born male then you can control any other fact about the gospel and the message of the gospel that you want to you can change it you can edit it you can adjust it you can go where a lot of people are going now there are again you know with the with the gay marriage issue there are a lot of people that believe that what is said in the bible is meant in the bible about homosexual relationships which is that they are sinful that marriage in and of itself is not the union of any combination of random people it is the union of one man and one woman before god for life but there are now people that are very on the liberal spectrum within Christianity that say, yeah, that's what the Bible says, but I don't like it. And it, that was 2000 years ago. And we need to update. We, we need a public relations uh, refresh. We need to hit the reset button. We need to make over. Okay. So they're destroying truth and now they're controlling facts and saying, no, 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 this is actually what marriage is. We, we've known what marriage has been for thousands of years, but you know, we know better now. We, we've evolved past God somehow. So here are the new facts and they get to be in control of that. And if you come back and say, no, 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 let's go back to the truth. Well, they've already destroyed the truth. And if you point to the truth, that in and of itself is bigoted and you're not allowed to do that. Another couple of reasons why this is an important story is leftists, you know, while very zealotrous, you know, <laughs> they're cowards by nature. They, they may be very excited. They, they may scream loudly. That they may, you know, not have anything else to do during the day than to scream at you or flame you online, but they are cowards by nature. These are people that don't want their ideas challenged. They just want you to accept them and they will shout you down and call you a bunch of names if you say what they're saying is not, again, capital T, true. But we, as, you know, whatever you want to call us, as real Christians or as conservatives or as whatever, we must push back against these people as if they were a bully on the playground. Because a lot of you got the advice growing up, and uh, sometimes it didn't quite work out that way. But when you stood up to the bully, the bully would back down because the bully has a lot of insecurities, a lot of issues, and they are a coward by their very nature. Now, you may have tried to stand up to the bully. You might have, you know, still got smacked around a little bit, but I bet you didn't keep getting bullied by that particular bully, right? These people are saying these ridiculous things like Jesus was a transgender person. Because nobody is yelling back at them. Because only one person will stand up and yell heresy as they're leaving. That They're going to continue to do drag queen story hour because there aren't enough parents coming and saying, yeah, this is bad and this is child abuse. And I'm going to keep talking and I'm going to interrupt this. And I'm going to do everything I can to stop this short of doing physical violence to these people. Right? It takes people standing up and in a full-throated fashion saying, no, we're not going to do that. And so, again, this was at a religious service, a Christian religious service, and this guy's just waxing poetic about artwork in the tranny version of Jesus. We have to push back against that. And the last thing in terms of why this story is important is at some point, this is my message to the audience, at some point, you will have an opportunity to stand up against heresy, okay? But you need to pre-decide what you will do, and you need to be equipped to be able to push back. Part of the reason why some people can't spot heresy is because they haven't spent any time in the good book. You don't spend a whole lot of time reading the Bible, and you might hear somebody make some sort of argument like what this guy was making and think to yourself, 
well, gosh, you know what? I know enough about the Bible to know that when they talked about mankind, obviously that, that meant women as well. Jesus is like the ultimate God man. So does that mean that he's the ultimate she, he, and it almost sounds plausible. And you may start selling yourself on the fact like, yeah, this actually sounds like something that I can get behind. But again, you need to be spending time in the word because that will equip you. You need to also pre-decide. I mentioned pre-decision. One thing that I've talked about this in several contexts is I know there are a lot of guys out there that listen to the show that are concealed carry people, right? But there are a lot of people that are concealed carry people that number one, they have never trained with their firearms. So that's going to potentially cause some issues uh, whenever the moment comes, but they haven't pre-decided whether or not they will use that firearm in order to potentially end a life. They haven't pre-decided to do what the sheepdog would do, which would be to protect the sheep from the wolf. So you're carrying around a deadly weapon, but you've not made the decision that you will be deadly with it if the occasion calls for it. So that's obviously an extreme example, but you don't want to be making that decision at the moment the bullets are flying past your head, right? That's not the time to sit down and, you know, really Ben Franklin this and, you know, have a left column, right column. That's not really the best time for that. But in these moments, where heresy is being spouted, where uh, Jesus is being called a transgender person, or somebody's taking the, the Bible completely out of context or changing the story of the gospel, are you going to be willing to stand up? And I mean, literally, stand up against that? If it's happening in your midst, are you going to have enough boldness? Are you going to have the balls to stand up and be like, nope, not on my watch? Because some of you guys would be like, oh, you know, now's really not the time. This is going to be really, really awkward. And I don't really know uh, if I can stand up and do all those different things. But one person stood up, yelled heresy after the presentation was over, as they were storming out. That was it. And I don't know how many people were there, but I'm assuming it was more than one. At some point, guys, you will have the opportunity to stand up against heresy. You have to pre-decide what you're going to do. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get into the quick hitters segment. And again, we're going to be discussing a bunch of quick hitters and some of these happened a while ago. So let's get into the first one here. The groundbreaking study that exposes the myth about antidepressants. So this is according to the UK Daily Mail. Now, shocking new research shows that shows that the theory justifying the millions of prescriptions for antidepressants handed out every month to patients is simply not true. The research confirms that some medical professionals have increasingly come to suspect or what they have come to suspect that the chemical imbalance theory that depression is due to a lack of brain chemical serotonin is nothing more than a myth. This myth was created more than 35 years ago by pharmaceutical companies to justify their products and has been perpetuated ever since by the training and practice of doctors around the world. In the most comprehensive review of the research on links between depression and serotonin ever carried out, research from the researchers from the UK, Italy, and Switzerland looked at 17 major international reviews that had documented the findings from more than 260 studies involving 300,000 patients. Their findings published in the journal Molecular Psychology undermined the basis for decades of prescribing of the most commonly used antidepressants, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or SSRIs. Now, guys, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the entire study. So the one that was published in Molecular Psychiatry, because I believe this was back in June, whenever this was put out there. And it's worth your time. I think you should read it. So I've talked about this on the show before, and I've talked about, you know, even my personal experience with seeing somebody be prescribed SSRIs that are these very, very powerful and in a lot of ways addicting drugs after spending almost no time with people. So again, a very close person to me spent less than five minutes with the doctor kind of describing what they were going through and the doctor prescribed them Zoloft. And 
the idea was, okay, you're only going to be on this for a short period of time. And what the doctor meant by short period of time was six months. We're going to put you on this thing, which is supposed to change your brain chemistry for six months. And then we're just going to kind of see how you feel then. But for any of you that have maybe taken those or know people that have taken them, what do you think happens after six months? Do you think you just stop taking it cold turkey? Like the best case scenario is you would wean yourself off of it. But for the most part, there are now going to be introductions of other things. Okay, well, let's try this dosage. Okay, let's try this antidepressant. Let's try to figure all these different things out. And a lot of doctors and a lot of people and a lot of morons and stupid moms online and things like that, they will basically say that these things are harmless, that these things are, they're harmless. And one of the things that they will say as to why it should be provable that it's harmless is because millions of doctors around the globe have prescribed things like SSRIs, antidepressants for decades now. And it's, it's obviously got to be having a positive impact or else they wouldn't keep doing it. Which obviously leads to people having to question, okay, you're talking about the pharmaceutical companies, which are tied right into the doctors. And why would they stop doing that if it's going to continue to be a cash cow for them? Okay. And what this always does is it begs the big question. And this, this is an enormous question that I have not heard enough people ask and enough people really ponder. But if doctors knew that someone was depressed because of a chemical imbalance of the brain, then how were they able to determine that without first doing a scan of that person's brain? Have you thought about that? Again, we know, I say doctors, they know that you've got a chemical imbalance in your brain. And if you just take these pills and then we'll keep, you know, shoving them down your throat month after month, year after year, that this is going to somehow level you back out, right? But do they know to what degree the person's chemicals in their brain are out of whack? Do they know to what degree it is left or right or up or down? Do they know exactly which chemical is imbalanced that once put back in balance will solve this person's main issue, which they are claiming is their uncontrollable depression? Because if they can do that without actually scanning the brain, that's incredible to the point of being fanciful. It's a myth. They can't do it. And literally, we're incredibly smart as people in 2022, but we don't know jack about the brain. I mean, when you, when you talk about actually knowing something and knowing how something works, we have a very rudimentary understanding of the brain. And yet, doctors, with just over a decade of, of schooling and all that, and they spend a, a small portion of that on mental health issues, they're just going to, yeah, sure, here, take these. It'll fix your brain chemistry problem. Are you, are you going to like scan my brain to actually know for sure? Ah, no, we don't need to do that. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm just going to ask you some questions for about two or three minutes. And then I'm just going to prescribe these pills to you. And then we'll just kind of check back in as we, as we need to. Again, it's just, it's just silly. And it, it also made me think of, I wonder what the next medical myth to be exposed will be because it'll surely happen. Like we got to know that, like there's going to be another study that comes out that says, oh, hey, this thing that we thought for decades and decades and decades was true is actually really not true because we have all this data now, which shows that this is actually true. Now, what we can be basically guaranteed of is that it will surely be way after pharmaceutical companies, hospitals, and doctors have all swam a few laps in their pools filled with money at that point, because again, they're all in on it. And I know you like your doctor. I know your doctor seems to mean well. And I know they actually want to mean well. And I know hospitals do, do a lot of great things. And I know pharmaceutical companies literally create things and are doing research that are helping give people medications that, that help their entire lives. 
But haven't we seen enough since 2020 about how pharmaceutical companies will act whenever profit is the main motive? And I'm all for them making profit. If you make stuff that helps people, you should be compensated for that. I'm not hating on them for, for making billions and billions of dollars. I'm hating on them when they make it and they make it seem as if there's no issues with the, the stuff that they're putting in people. They're like there's no going to be no issues whatsoever for these people. And again, for decades now, we've been prescribing these SSRIs to people, not really knowing what they were doing. And now we have research to basically say that they weren't really doing anything. Because this idea that you have a chemical imbalance in your brain because of serotonin and all these different things being out of whack, there's no proof of that. None whatsoever. So my big takeaway on this story is the next time you're feeling depressed, I, Dr. Thompson, am prescribing for you 90 days of strenuous exercise, clean eating, and an abundant amount of sleep and rest. Because there is a lot of research to su suggest when people are melancholy or blue or sad or even clinically depressed, whatever that means, that if these people were to start exercising regularly and strenuously, that if they were to clean up their diet and get all the nonsense and all the you know uh, highly processed stuff out of their diets, and if they get a good amount of sleep and rest and recovery, that a lot of those problems simply go away or they become very, very manageable. Why don't we hear doctors doing that? Is it because they can't potentially profit off of telling someone they need to exercise, eat clean, and get a bunch of sleep? Perhaps. Is it because they know if they were to say that to somebody that that's like the last thing most people will do, especially in America? We're so fat and lazy in this country. If you told someone, I need you to work out every single day for 90 days or you're going to die, what percentage of people would actually do that? I'm going to say a very, very small percentage of people if they weren't already doing that to begin with. Because again, you're not seeing a lot of people that get a lot of exercise, strenuous exercise, not just like walking around your neighborhood, but strenuous exercise, eating very, very clean and getting a bunch of sleep. A lot of these people are not complaining about these clinical levels of depression. It's not something that you see. And if somebody was complaining about that and didn't have any of those habits and they start doing those habits, it's amazing what that actually does change in the chemical balance of the brain. Again, we don't fully understand it as to why it is that way, but it's almost as if we were designed to have strenuous amounts of exercise, to not eat garbage that's made in a factory, and to sleep. It's almost like that's part of who we are and what we're supposed to do. So again, I am not a doctor. I am not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I literally don't have a pad where I can write a prescription out to somebody. But the next time you feel like you're going into one of those areas, give that a try. See what it does for you. All right, guys, next quick hitter here. ACT scores hitting the lowest point in more than three decades here in the United States. So according to Fox News, the class of 2022's average ACT composite score was 19.8 out of 36, marking the first time since 1991 that the average score was below 20. What's more, an increasing number of high school students failed to meet any of the subject area benchmarks set by the ACT, any of them, showing a decline in preparedness for college-level coursework. The test scores made public in a report Wednesday, this was like Wednesday back in October or something like that, show 42% of ACT tested graduates in the class of 2022 met none of the subject benchmarks in English, reading, science, and math, which are indicators of how well students are expected to perform in corresponding college courses. Okay. So but the thing with the story guys is the scores themselves are alarmingly low, right? The average score being below 20 in most state colleges, you need at least like a 22, I think, to even get in. 
like to even apply and, and, and maybe I'm just, uh, I haven't obviously applied for, to college in almost, you know, 20 years or something like that. But like th- that's an alarmingly low score if you get below 20. But the more alarming thing is that we don't have an educational system in place currently in the United States that can counteract or remedy this problem quickly or, or perhaps even at all. Because there have been a lot of people that have been sounding the drum about the education system in this country for decades that we're lagging behind in all these areas, in English, in reading, in math, in science, in all these different areas. But for us as a country, as a country, we still produce the best technology. We still produce the the most amount of breakthroughs. We still have the best colleges. We have all all these other different things. And so we just assume that we're okay. But what that shows is that the elite of the elite, the very top of the heap, the, the, the cream of the crop, as it were, those are the people that are crushing it, okay? But that's not indicative of the rest of the populace. And you don't just need a physically capable populace as a country, you need a mentally capable populace as a country for any number of things, whether it's defending yourself, whether it's uh, creating jobs or creating wealth or creating businesses or, or, or developing things in the future, caring for the community. You, you need people that are physically and mentally capable of doing that. But we're seeing massive, massive issues. And then this is just kind of the latest thing to where it's like, okay, here's the worst it's been in about 30 years. And the main reason is because of the shutdowns, which leads to my big takeaway on this one is can we all admit that shutting down the schools was a mistake now? Can, can we admit that? I know a lot of people are right-leaning and, and conservatives and Republicans listen to this show, so there's not a whole lot of people that were huge fans of shutting down the, the schools. You know, I think all of us were fans of shutting down the schools as we figured out what in the world the C-word was. Because if this thing had the death rate for children that it had for elderly people, we would have all just completely destroyed the planet and every single economy and not even looked back because it was taking out our kids. But that's not what it ended up being. Thank God. That's not what it ended up being. But we decided to shut down our schools for something that was not dangerous to children. And I mean that statistically, that isn't to say that there are outliers or tragic cases, but statistically speaking, pneumonia is way more deadly and you provide, should provide way more caution than the C word. And yet we've never shut down for months and months. And in some cases, years in order to tamp down pneumonia, but we did it for the C word. Okay. And there are still schools in this country that will shut down. There are still schools in this country that have mask mandates. There are still schools in this country that have V-word mandates, that you have to get the V-word jab in your arm or you can't come to school there. I think Notre Dame was the latest one that said, yeah, in the fall, like in the fall of next year, they're going to go ahead and plan to say yes in order to, to come back to school, or it may have been in the spring of 2023 that you have to have gotten the jab. There, and there's no way you can get around that, as far as I understand. But I think we should all be able to admit right now that the distance learning thing didn't work. This idea that every single kid in America had a working laptop or iPad and an internet connection and was a dutiful student and had parents that were on top of them and all these different things was a massive, massive fail. And we should never try it again unless there is something like the Black Plague, where there is something where it's killing a quarter of the people that get it, regardless of their age or regardless of pre-existing conditions, that short of anything like that, of a real pandemic, we're not shutting down the schools anymore. And I know that there are a lot of school districts, a lot of sheriff's offices, a lot of you know teaching groups, a lot of pastors, a lot of churches 
that learned a lot from what happened in 2020 and into 2021, and they're not going to do it again. That out of an abundance of caution, they went with what the quote unquote experts said. But when just about everything the experts told us from the beginning was wrong or later proven to be faulty in some major way, then then we just can't do something like that ever again. We're never going to do it again. All right, guys, next quick hitter here. A British woman being denied life-saving surgery because she requested a non-transgender nurse. So this is according to the Daily Wire. London's Princess Grace Hospital told the anonymous woman it had to, quote, protect staff from unacceptable distress, unquote, and canceled her operation, according to the Daily Mail. The woman's complex colorectal surgery had been scheduled for October the 10th of this year. The woman is a sexual assault victim and specifically requested an all-female facility. She was caught off guard when a person she believed to be a be a biological male who identifies as a female in a blonde wig and makeup opened the door and made eye contact with her when she first arrived for a pre-op assessment that involved intimate procedures again this is a colorectal uh, colorectal procedure this prompted the woman, a feminist retired lawyer, to make an urgent request for an all-female nursing staff Quote, I began to wonder if it was just a coincidence that the member of the staff with a gender identity had made their presence felt to me in such an inappropriate way during my first visit, the woman told the Daily Mail. I began to suspect that I had been targeted because my patient records showed that I refused to use pronouns and wanted single-sex facilities, although I have no evidence of this, she said. Then I began to panic that men would be attending to my intimate care at the hospital while I was immobilized for an entire week following major surgery, the woman continued. It was a slow, dawning realization. I felt sick. Alarm bells were ringing in my head. I cannot describe the fear that I felt. I cannot rationalize it. Okay, so I'm going to go right to my big takeaway on this one. And it's that leftists are completely full of crap when they argue that we should take people's feelings into account. Because that's the argument that you always get when it comes to the transgender issue. Okay. When it comes to the transgender issues, it's like, Hey, 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 I know it's a little weird to have a separate bathroom or to, to allow, you know, boys to come into the girl's bathroom, even though that's what their biology says. It's how they feel and how they feel is important. Feelings have weight. They're just as real as anything else in this, in this world. So I know it's going to be a little strange for you, but let's take their feelings into account. So let's use the bathroom example. So you're at a high school and, you know, uh, it's an athletic locker room situation. So you have the boys locker room and the girls locker room, and you have a boy that is, has a mental issue and thinks that he is a girl. So he goes into the girls uh, locker room and he drops trowel just like everybody else in there, but he has bits that nobody else in the room has. And what we're told by leftists is that this is a good thing because we are taking that boy, which they wouldn't say, boy, we are taking that transgender girls feelings into account. And that's very, very important because my goodness, we wouldn't want them to feel ostracized, would we? We wouldn't want them to feel uncomfortable. And we do that to the detriment of every other girl that is in that locker room. We are told, we're not explicitly, but we are basically forced to ignore the feelings of everybody else in that room because of the feelings of this one person who again has a mental disorder that requires mental health not puberty blockers and not a scalpel, but we're told that that person's feelings count for more than the other people's feelings. And if any of the girls in that room think that that's uncomfortable or God forbid, unacceptable, they're labeled as a bigot. They're labeled as a transphobe. They're labeled as a hater, as something like that. And so you see a lot of these girls 
and a lot of these females in these situations not coming out publicly and talking about what they're going through. Because it's re it really sucks to have people call you names all the time. Now, I'm kind of used to it at this point, having a public profile and doing the stuff that I do and doing the shows that I do and the subjects that I do. But that's not something that I enjoy. It certainly, for a lot of people, it, it could ruin their entire family tree. Because they're not just going to come after that girl. They're going to come after the girl's father. And if their girl's father runs a business, like that's going to be a problem for them. Like, And they will all descend on that family, do what they can to stamp them out and make them feel as awful as possible. But again, we are told constantly that we need to be more welcoming and more understanding about people's feelings, but they don't mean it. They simply do not mean it. They're full of crap. They only want you to take people's feelings into account that agree with them and their worldview. That's it. That's what they want. And if you're unwilling to do that, they will stop at nothing to unleash their fury on you. So just like I said with the first story of the day, there's going to be opportunities for you to step up and counteract what some of these people are saying and doing. You need to be prepared to deal with that and prepared to do that. All right, next one here. Armed law-abiding citizens stopping significantly more active shootings than the FBI statistics describe. So this is according to the Crime Prevention Research Center. Evidence compiled by the Crime Prevention Research Center shows that the sources the media relied on undercounted the number of instances in which armed citizens have thwarted such attacks by an order of more than 10, saving untold numbers of lives. Of course, law-abiding citizens stopping these attacks are not rare. What is rare is national news coverage of those incidents. Although those many news stories about the Greenwood shooting also suggested that the defensive use of guns might endanger others, there is no evidence that these acts have harmed innocent victims. The FBI reports that armed citizens only stopped 11 of the 252 active shooter incidents it identified for the period of 2014 to 2021. The FBI defines active shooter incidents of those in which an individual actively kills or attempts to kill people in a populated public area, but it does not include those it deems rather uh, related to other criminal activity, such as a robbery or fighting over drug turf. An analysis by my organization, this is a guy that wrote the article, identified a total of 360 active shooter incidents during that period and found that an armed citizen stopped 124. A previous report looked at only instances when armed civilians stopped what likely would have been mass public shootings. There were another 24 cases that we didn't include where armed civilians stopped armed attacks, but the suspect didn't fire his gun. Those cases are excluded from our calculations, though it could be argued that a civilian also stopped what likely could have been an active shooting of Event. The FBI reported that armed citizens thwarted 4.4% of active shooter incidents, while the CPRC found 34.4. Okay, so we need to talk a little bit more about this because you can dig into the data and I'll put all that in the show notes so you guys can check it out. But the media loves to ignore stories of an armed citizen, that's a good guy, stopping an armed citizen, that is a bad guy. They, they love to ignore that. Because the media needs mass shootings to fit a particular narrative, okay? And that's typically multiple victims, preferably victims of color killed by a white male, an AR-15 used, occurred in a red state or red city uh, where the killer leaves a manifesto and, and you know, talks about Alex Jones or, uh, you know, uh, Donald Trump or somebody like that. Like, that's what they need. And they make sure, the media does, to ignore stories of people that don't fit into that narrative 
of pe- uh, people of color killing people of color. We can't talk about that. Where handguns were used as opposed to these quote unquote assault rifles. When it happens in a deep blue area with a lot of gun regulations and gun laws, when it happens in gun free zones, it-, it can't fit any of those narratives. And we just saw two here recently. So there was the mass shooting in Colorado at, at the gay bar or something like that. And then there was the one at the Walmart where somebody came in and shot up all of their uh, coworkers. Well, the one in Colorado immediately it was like, oh, it's all this anti-gay, anti-trans sentiment, all these different things. And then whoopsie, the guy comes out and the lawyer for the person that did all the, the shooting and killing came out and said, yeah, actually my client's non-binary. They want to use they, them pronouns. <laughs> Whoops. And also we're not really hearing about that story anymore because it all of a sudden didn't fit into a narrative. So they kind of swivel back to talking about, you know, guns and guns being the problem with the situation that happened in, uh, the Walmart, there was a guy that went in and I believe it was a black guy, a disgruntled employee that killed, uh, I think five or six of his people that worked with him at Walmart that were all people of color as well. And this guy said, you know, before he turned the gun on himself and all that, that he was led by Satan to do this. And we haven't heard about that story either. Like, because It's just going back to, oh, there's too many guns on the streets and all that. But in that shooting, it was a handgun that was used by a person of color. We're not allowed to talk about those, right? So my big takeaway on this and about the stats around around these things, and I'm not claiming that the FBI was purposefully trying to make these numbers seem lower. That could end up being the case, but I don't have the evidence to support that. But my big takeaway is don't let the anti-gun crowd fool you or scare you into not carrying and to not training because there have been plenty of situations where there would have been a tremendous amount of bloodshed had there not been a sheepdog there ready to go to protect themselves and others. We've seen several instances of this. And another thing you'll hear from the anti-gun crowd, even in the, the Christian pacifist side, like the guy that I debated over there in the UK, these people will say things like, well, even if you have your firearm and you pull it out, what if you miss and shoot an innocent person when you're trying to stop the bad guy? Do you know how many times that's happened in the recorded history of the United States? Exactly zero times. There's not been a single instance that we have on record where an armed citizen that was legally capable of carrying that weapon was trying to shoot and kill the bad guy, but they missed and shot someone's grandma and killed him. Never happened. So not to say that it couldn't happen, and it would obviously be, be crazy tragic if it did happen, but it's just not something that, that is real. And I've talked a lot about on the show, and I think earlier this year I did an entire big long episode, uh, you know, a couple of episodes on firearms and and all the different uh, arguments that are made and how they're silly and you know the statistics behind it. And again, there's that debate I did over on Justin Brierley's show over in the UK with that anti-gun activist that goes around and convinces Christians to destroy their firearms and makes them unsafe because you know he has some really bad reading of scripture in Isaiah two. <laughs> and so that's just something that I want to kind of put out there to you guys is there are other statistics out there. That even if those stats are wrong, and even if the FBI stats are exactly right and perfect, don't we want more armed citizens stopping these things? Since it takes a while for police to arrive, don't we want more armed citizens to keep the general populace safe? I certainly think we should. All right, guys, last last quick hitter of the day. We'll honor the last surviving American Medal of Honor winner from World War II, and that guy's name is Herschel Woody Williams. So he died on June the 29th of this year at the age of 98 in a VA medical center that bears his name. So according to the New York Post, Williams was awarded the Medal of Honor after he used a flamethrower and explosives to clear seven concrete bunkers known as pillboxes under heavy machine gun fire in February of 1945. As all of the men in Williams' company perished, he kept pushing forward, at one point shoving a flamethrower nozzle into one of the small concrete boxes, killing the enemies inside. He then refueled his weapon 
and boldly returned five more times to destroy the main, the remaining pillboxes. And so uh, I wanted to talk about this guy for, for most of, of the year, but it obviously just never really worked out. I thought I was going to do an entire episode for with military stuff. It didn't quite work out that way. But my big takeaway with this one is as a whole, our generation is very weak. Okay, and I'm talking about my generation. I'm certainly talking about the generation thereafter. But we still have some Woody Williamses around. So I think about my buddy Dakota Meyer. You should, should read his book, Into the Fire, and think about what he did to earn the Medal of Honor, uh, an award that he hates because it reminds him of the worst day of his life. But there are guys like that out there. So for all of you guys that are like me, that you love to lament this generation and you love to lament the government and, you know, maybe you've bought into this narrative about the, you know, uh, oh gosh, what is it? The uh, military industrial complex and all these other different things. Like I get it, but we still have some brave men that are willing to fight and die for this country and fight and die for the men that are by their side. And that's a great thing that there are still people in this country that are willing to fight and willing to fight for good. Now, it's something to be discussed about whether or not our military class, our military rulers and our general class, and certainly the people in the White House that can send out or, or bring back our, our guys is um, the people that we want making those decisions. But when you look at a guy like Woody Williams, a lot of people will say, well, they're not, they're not quite cut like that anymore. There aren't quite guys like that anymore. And there are. That generation is called the greatest generation for a reason. You had guys, because I think Woody Williams, he's like 5'3 or something like that. He, he was short. He was too short for the military at the time that he was trying to get in. And so he had to get a bunch of waivers. And how many stories have you heard about guys that you know lied about their age so that they could go fight? They were 15 years old, 16 years old. And they're like, send me to the front lines. I'm going to go push back darkness in Europe, right? Now, we don't really have circumstances like that happening right now here in the United States. You know, we kind of have a class of people in the military that they're that's what they do as their profession and that's what they get paid to do. And we love the separation for the most part as a people group. But there are still people out there that are wired like that. They're wired to get some. That if it were 1945, they would have been forging documents and faking things and just showing up to go and fight and push back darkness. And I love that about this country and I love it still. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So again, just want to remind you to go to the Origin website to check out our full line, or not our full line, it's their full line of Origin and Jocko Fuel products. So that's geese, jeans, boots, protein, energy drink, supplements, a whole bunch of other stuff, including the brand new creatine. Guys, use the promo code UNDAUNTED to get 10% off your order. That is U-N-D-A-U-N-T-E-D to get 10% off your order. And guys, in the show notes here, all I've got are the links to everything I talked about in the quick hitters and also a link to our donation page. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.